This is Dale Jr., and you're listening to Dirty Mo Radio. Between your dad and J.R. Rhodes, they were like the welcome wagon. <laughs> I laugh when I see the uh, Steve Cook nationwide insurance yeah. commercials because I go, well, he's my guy. Yeah, the that's who I, I have told you to go because, use. <laughs> you know, the Big E said, that's who you go to. I said, okay, that's who I go to. That's who I'm going to. Welcome to Kelly Earnhardt Miller's Fast Lane Family presented by Wella Professionals. Salon care products that you can experience with your senses. Get high performance you can see, touch, and sense. Welcome to this week's edition of Fastlane Family. We've got a great show today, and as always, our well professionals will bring you our tip of the week later in the show. But right now, let's focus our attention on my guest, Matt Yoakum, who is here, who is, from what I've read, practically been in the sport your entire life and is currently a reporter for Fox. How are you today? I'm doing great and glad to be in the, the Dirty Mo Radio studio. And uh, You've heard about how infamous it is. Oh, my so gosh. Like, I mean... There's not a carpet. There's, <laughs> it, it's a, like a cow rug. I yes. mean, this is killer. Amy has put her attention on this project for us on our budget of zero dollars. Right, Amanda, when we started the studio? <laughs> yes. <laughs> she said, well, what's the budget? We said, well, nothing. We have no budget. <laughs> so uh, ended up, obviously, we uh, had to spend a little on it, but she did a great job. Doesn't look like your typical. Uh, no, it's 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 nice homey. It's yeah. it's nice just to kick back and and talk racing and talk life. Yep. So Matt and I have already discussed that we are both in similar roles. He is the veteran reporter. I am not. I'm the veteran answer giver. So we've swapped roles today. We're going to take it easy on each other and just have some fun. So let's get started. This is cool because I mean I know you, but I don't know your history. So I always like to learn. And your mother was involved in racing. I didn't realize that that is where you got your start. And the thing I find interesting about that is that was in the 70s. So what yep. did she do in the sport? Well, what's so interesting, if you look through the garage area, there's so many people like yourself that a parent and typically a father was the reason why you were bitten by the racing bug. You have the passion for the sport and you found your role, your niche uh, within the sport so you can be a part of it. And for me, my mom started in 1968 at Michigan International Speedway. And so I always grew up around, I mean, the first recollection that I have of an actual race was a Trans Am race at MIS. And the only reason why it stuck in my mind, because the cars ran the opposite direction. And I was like, why are they going the wrong way? And so I always was around the sport. Um, You know, she uh, worked at MIS for for a number of years, and she uh, handled the the Texaco and the Pennzoil NASCAR programs. In fact, every time you look at a Penske car, and there's a couple other cars that have the same look. But if you look at the Penske cars, they have that clean car look as far as the contingency decals. Mm-hmm. And actually, that was not allowed until she negotiated that with Bill France Jr. And Penzoil, that was their look from IndyCar. When they came in with Bahari, that's the same look that they wanted. And wow. So uh, a little mark there she left. But she left so many marks that people really wouldn't know about as far as the corporate side. And I started working my college and high school summers with IROC, International Race of Champions. And when I graduated, you know, I moved on to uh, a couple of different NBC affiliates before I got a chance to go to work for TNN, the Nashville Network. And then from that point on, it just seemed to to snowball and uh, to the role I am in today. (laughs) So you mentioned IROC, and you you actually were a tower specialist on that series. Mm -hmm. And then you switched to broadcasting. Mm-hmm. How did that come about? Well, I, I like being around the sport. I like being around the people, which is really why I think we all migrate here because it's the resource of people that make the sport so special. And, you know, I wanted to have a knowledge of the, of the cars, so I did that during the summers. 
And then when I graduated, the thing that I love most is storytelling. And for me, it's coming across a great story, whether it's back in Michigan, I did a story during the race on Drew Bible, shock specialist at Gibbs, and Jerry Kelly, who is the car chief for Keselowski, and the fact that their histories were intertwined due to their fathers. And that would have been Father's Day weekend, and both of their fathers have passed away. And so it was cool to do a story because Drew's dad owned a race car. Jerry's dad drove that race car. And so their families were always intertwined. And yet, you know, you fast forward 20 years, 25 years, and here they are, the top level of auto racing, working for top teams, and they see each other every weekend in the garage. So it's kind of a cool going home uh, story for, for those two, especially with that region and being from that area. That is neat. So how does a concept like that come up in your case? Is that something that you bring to the table? It's just something that I dig up. It's little things that there's a lot of times where I've held a story for a year or two because timing wasn't right. And it was so funny, just for instance, uh, back at Atlanta, you know, back in uh, 2004, 2005, whatever, Jeff Gordon was racing for a championship. It was a test. And Gordon's racing for the championship, and Ricky Rudd's battling him for the championship. And during the test, Gordon had his RC car out, and he totally destroyed it into the side of the garage. And who was the guy that fixed it? it was Fatback McSwain, who they're battling for the championship. It's just little things that I like to throw in for the fan at home yeah. that doesn't get a chance. And it's all because of conversation with that crew member, that driver. And that's where those stories come about. And, you know, I've got a, like a little library, and I try to, to find the right place and right time to tell that story so it has the biggest impact. It's cool. I, I'll, give you, I'll give you a great <laughs> example. Your brother, as a matter of fact. Some, some of the funnest, I, I guess some of the most fun things I've done yeah. have included him. We were at a rain delay in Atlanta. And so I was interviewing your brother, and we started out, because I knew he at that time, he was really started to get into grilling. And he had a George Foreman. We talked all about the George Foreman, how he bought it because George has a bunch of kids and he felt like George needed money to send his kids to college. And so we talked all about that. And then we got on about the boxing ring that he had just purchased. And he and Tony Jr., when they were growing up, they only had one pair of gloves. And one was a lefty and one was a righty. And then I said, well, was anybody a bleeder? He goes, oh, yeah, I was a bleeder. I was done. And uh, I said, did anybody else? Yeah, my dad got involved at one time, and that was all. From that point on, we stuck away from, from boxing. <laughs> but it was just funny because it was him kicking back on small little stories. Real stuff people can relate yeah, to, that kind of yeah. stuff. And I, and I yeah. think that's, you know, and we were at Texas one year. And so many times, you know, we're at the back of a hauler waiting to do an interview. And you see drivers spend uh, so much of their time throughout the year with Make-A-Wish or different charities. And you see these, these you know, sick children, and it is really moving to you, especially if you're a parent. And so we were at Texas in 03, I believe, and my buddy from the track said, hey, look, I've got this really cool letter that was sent to us. We've got to get it to Junior. And he goes, but I thought you might like to do something with it. So I read it. I'm like, oh, my God, perfect. And it just so happened during the rain delay, I brought the letter out. And I said, you know, so many times people don't realize what guys like Junior give back with Make-A-Wish and other charities. And I said, but the problem is you'll meet a sick kid, but you may never see that sick kid again, especially when they get well. And I said, there was a little girl that wrote a letter. She sent a picture of you two meeting and what she looks like now. And I, and I read the whole letter, and it was about how she was so taken aback by his time and what it meant to her at that point 
of her recovery in dealing with cancer, and she just wanted him to see that she was well now and what it meant to her for him to just to take the few minutes out of his time. And so we were done, and he was very touched. And we were done. We were off camera, and he goes, do you think I can have that? I said, well, it was sent to you. And he was very touching. It meant a lot to him. And uh, those are the kind of things that I love because I think it shows the fan at home what the people are, whether they're behind the wheel on top of the pit box, what they are. You know, they're special people. And I love Ken Squires. They're human, too. They're, they're human, yeah. too. And, and that's the side that I love to bring yeah. out. Yeah. You know, you see, like Ken Squires said, you know, they're common uncommon, men doing uncommon, uncommon things. things. Yep. And and I think that is for so many people in the garage area, whether you're behind the wheel or on the pit box. And I love telling those stories to the fans. That's what makes our sport unique, too, against the other stick and ball sports, too, is that humanity aspect mm-hmm. of it and, and the closeness that people can get at our event. But like you said, the stories yeah. that you bring home to people through the TV and through the I'll, different I'll tell you a funny mediums. story. So my cameraman, who I've had for 17 years now, he grew up in Duluth, Minnesota. Yeah, the same cameraman. Same cameraman. Go around with you. Yep. Through all these different ro- jobs and roles. Yep. We started working <laughs> together in 1999, I believe it was. And we've been together wow. pretty much the whole time. And he's from Duluth, Minnesota. And a guy he went to high school with is a friend of one of my friends in Michigan. So I helped get them passes for the MIS race. And he just went on and on. He kept thanking me. Oh, my gosh, I cannot believe this is so cool. The access that you have. I mean, you can see the driver walk right across to his car. And you're, you're here as the cars come around the corner during practice. He goes, you don't get this anywhere else. Mm-hmm. And that's what I think makes auto racing so special, especially NASCAR. Uh, such a special attraction for the fan and why they've got that connection. Yeah, definitely. So you've had a storied career with starting out in 95 at TNT and through a lot of different networks. You're with Fox now. You're off right now. Is that what you call it? Well, Are you off? <laughs> I, I'm more in a limited role. <laughs> I, I We're wondering th- what you do with your time. Yeah. You must have been real busy the first six months of the year. <laughs> yeah. It was fast forward and then it was drop the anchor and slow down a little bit. Basically, when we leave Sonoma in June, I'll jump over to the truck series, and I'll do half a dozen truck races in the second half of the year. And I'll do a, a sports car race. I'll do the uh, season finale for the, the Tudor series. And uh, so it's a nice package for me because I've got a five-year-old. And you know with your, yep, with your kids. Yep. And to me, having the opportunity to go and, and go to the beach a couple different times during the summer, you know, I, I'll take her with me uh, to a truck race uh, or two. She loves going to the track. And uh, so to me, it was a nice package to where I don't lose out on time because, you know, at the end of the day, and you know your range from your kids, all of a sudden you wake up and you're like, <laughs> where did wow. they go? And they want to hang out with their pals more than do you. So Exactly. So uh, she just started kindergarten. Is that right? Yep. Started yep. kindergarten. Basically, I dropped her off the first day. We took all the pictures, <laughs> everything. And then I dropped her off and drove right up to Bristol, did the truck race. And then came back. I got home about 3.30 in the morning and uh, about two hours, two and a half hours sleep and then took her to school the next day. Aww. So, <laughs> Did you cry when she went to kindergarten? Or were you okay with that? No, I was okay <laughs> with it. You get a little bit sad. She's done three years uh, previously at the school where she's at. So, you know, you, you, you have that going in, but it was just, it hits home that, okay, this is for real now. Yeah. This is this is kindergarten. Yeah, you can't just pull them out when you want to exactly. or anything like that. Yeah, there's got some rules to follow. What I love is that she loves school, literally runs to class, and she's been there for three years. She's starting her fourth year, and she's never had not one day 
where she's like, oh, my God, Dad, please, I don't want to go. Oh, gosh. And she'll literally run the class. That's and she, awesome. they gave her an award last year because she was the kid that came to class with a smile on every day. <laughs> and I'm just like, wow. Which is opposite you be of me. thankful for that. <laughs> because I could not wait to go to a race versus going to school. So. Well, she may find her passion in that. Mm. You might have to deal with that one day. She is a girl. Oh, yeah. You're going to have all that teenage fun, teenage girl stuff. I'm oh, sure yeah. people will tell you that all the time. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I was just talking with Carson the other night. They started school last week, and, and she came in at night uh, while when we were getting in bed. And that's the problem with teenagers is she wants to – she gets up for school, but then she wants to nap in the afternoon. And so then by the time we're ready to go to bed, after we've got the kids in bed at 10 o'clock, she comes down in my room, and she's like, I just thought I would come down and spend some time with you guys. And I'm like, well, we're going to bed now. Oh, sorry. Fine. You don't want to spend any time with me? I'm like, yeah, we'd love to if you'd, like, wake up in the afternoon yep. when you get home from school. Yep. But she said, you know, Mom, can you believe, like, in two and a half years, I'm going to be out of school and I can move out of here? And that hits you hard to think that I can't imagine not having one of my kids mm-hmm. in my house with me, you know? I know they're going to grow up and be adults, but it's just crazy. Well, you sit there and you go, wow, okay, she is five. In 10 years, she can do uh, uh, Doug's program breaks, mm-hmm. and she'll get her her learner's permit. And then a year after that, she'll be driving. You're like, wow. And you start looking ahead because <laughs> you want to live in the moment. Yeah. But you start realizing that clock is ticking. Yeah, yeah. And then you realize for your parents what that was like as you're moving along. Yep. And uh, it, it goes by so fast. But, you know, fortunately, we have the jobs that we do, although they're crazy schedules, and it allows you, though, to really make some special, unique moments take place that are lasting memories that, uh, you know, it's priceless. Yeah. What's her favorite thing to do at the track when she goes with you? Well, I think if you ask anybody under the age of 12, when they go to the track, it's MRO. Yeah. <laughs> she has, uh, my mom brought her out. I met her at the, the track in Charlotte in October, and or back in May, actually. And on the way out from school, she says to my mom, all right, Emmy, because that's what she calls her, Emmy. She goes, Emmy, uh, I have to go by and uh, say hello to Uncle Tony Smoke because he will be expecting me. <laughs> I have to go and say uh, hello to Uncle KH, you know, Keelan's dad. And then I have to go by and see Miss Danica because uh, she was going to show me more pictures of her dog <laughs> next time I saw her. Aww. And so and she check marks everything off the list. In fact, she was Danica had like three or four dogs in her motorhome and they were playing. Uh, with the dogs and so it's just unique special moments that she has no idea and it's like smoke said to me one time he goes you know she has no clue yeah no clue says no it's not normal and someday (laughs) she'll be 20 years old and she'll look back on pictures and go oh my gosh that was so cool Mm -hmm. you know but in the moment it's just uh it's just uncle tony's yeah it's just normal Mm -hmm. (laughs) that's fun well how do you balance you know your your role on the road and then uh time with her at home you know that's the the thing about it where it works out well for me because with the way our schedule is and we've got the charter service that you know many of us all use you really can manage the time so it's not you know I take her to school every day and pick her up and in the part of the year when I'm working at least I take her uh, four days yeah, of, a, the week. of the week and you know my mom you know helps out too and and so it really is not that big of an impact you know, and you've got FaceTime. Yeah. Technology makes it a lot oh easier. Oh, my gosh. And she's, <laughs> she's learned how to how to find people in the phone to call. <laughs> she called me the other day from my mom's phone. And she's like, I'm like, hello. She's like, hey, Daddy. I'm like, what are you doing on Amy's phone? 
Oh, I saw your name there. I just thought I'd call and see. It's funny. Your five-year-old, she can work FaceTime, and and, uh, I think I was tweeting a week or so ago about my mom accidentally FaceTiming me. She's, you know, older in technology. She's... Doesn't know what she's doing. She's like, I have no idea. I even FaceTime you. That's what my mom said. She goes, I just want to give her my iPhone and just give me a flip phone. Yeah, yeah. It was so much easier. She can probably teach your mom some things. Oh, exactly. Your mom's like, what are you doing, Maddie? Mm -hmm. (laughs) You've uh, worked for, let's see, what is this, 20 years? Yeah, 20 years on pit road doing the races, yeah. What's something that stands out for you that's just been a game changer from the time you started to now in, in the TV element of it? There's so much. I know there's a lot. Is there just one thing? That... It's almost like... <laughs> maybe know, something that you see on your end that yeah. we don't see at home. I don't well, know. I, I think there's a lot of things that take place that the folks at home really have no idea that ends up creating a lot of enjoyment for them because it makes for a better broadcast. I think when I go back to, to 1996, my first race that I, I ever did live on the air was at New Hampshire. It was a Bush North modified truck triple header weekend. And you go back there and you look at what we had on pit road as far as our resources. It was me and the scanner. I didn't have a monitor. Now, in 2015, we have a monitor, which not only is a monitor that I have someone that holds it for me, and I can watch the race highlights. I also can hit a button and see the scoring, the timing and scoring rundown. I can you know, have them feed me video of a replay. For instance, when we were at Michigan, I did a, a whole package of... I threw the audio of Matt Crafton talking about his issues. Then came out, and then they had showed video while the broadcast was going on. The person at home had no idea, but they were showing me behind the scenes the video of how they repaired the windshield. And so I segued right into that, and then they rolled that in. And, you know, you can see the knee pad and the spring rubbers that they were using trying to to brace up the windshield. It's technology like that that allows me to do better storytelling for the fan at home. And it's just so different. It's like Sprint Cup. You go back to 1995, and you walk through the garage area, and you see how the haulers were and what they carried compared to now. And it's just night and day. But I think the, the person who ultimately wins uh, week in, week out, week out is, is the fan yeah. because I think the broadcast is just so much better, you know, with all the different elements, all the different cameras, the so many different in-car angles, and, and just how technology has changed so yeah, much. Changed uh, the, game the fan everything. just continues to win. They do. Is there somebody that to this day that you still have a hard time interviewing or still, is there anybody no, that intimidates you? Or? No, I'll <laughs> tell you, it's funny. When you go through the garage area, there's not one person where you go, oh, my God, who did I make mad? Oh, how did I draw the short straw? It's really not like that. It's just everybody has their own personality, and you know how to approach someone because it's, you know, it's like my daughter. She's in her, her class of 15. Everybody has a different personality. And everyone reacts differently to, to situations. And, and you know, certain people, they handle frustration and, and disappointment better than others. But everybody is professional in that they know they've got a fan at home, sat there for three and a half hours. And that fan is just as upset as he is that his man blew up. Yeah. And so they're very professional. So there really isn't anybody uh, that. You know, you sit back and, oh, man, you know, it's, I think everyone is fun to interview because it's a challenge for me to pose a question in such a way, uh, you know, whether it's your brother, whether it's Jeff Gordon, you know, whether it's Mark Martin, whomever, that you pose a question in such a fashion to get a great answer from them. And that, to me, is one fun part of my job because it's a challenge. It's yeah. just like those guys that, 
go out on the racetrack. The challenge for them, the motivation, and, and everybody has that, and uh, and that's one of the challenges and motivations for me. Yeah, and you you um, just for me for doing the show, you know, we we obviously prepare notes and questions mm-hmm. and that kind of thing, but we are uh, closing in on our second year, and I mean, I can just see such a difference of letting the conversation roll itself mm-hmm. instead of, you know, going off of what we've prepared or whatever. You just get more poised and seasoned oh, yeah. with that, you know. Yeah. See, and for me, because this year I will have, I will have been a part of five different series uh, that I've broadcasted this year. And so preparation is so key for me because we're doing so many shows. And it's like a race team. When you get to the racetrack, you're done. Because at that point, all you're doing is reacting. Mm-hmm. You can't do any more preparation. And so typically, I approach it much like, let's just say, uh, you know, the coach for the Carolina Panthers. I watch the race from the year before, or the most recent race from where we're going. I start my stats pages. I work on different things. I've got a conference call that usually lasts an hour, hour and a half on Tuesday. I continue to work on my stuff. You know, I try to take, you know, Wednesday off and then Thursday we're traveling. Because when I get there on an average weekend, I'm either doing a truck race or an Xfinity race plus the cup race. And so, you know, trying to uh, compartmentalize all the different stories and just uh, the storylines and and, and to be prepared, you know, you just have to to go in with your stuff buttoned up. And um, so there's a lot of preparation that goes in, and I'll bet you I use 10% of it. Yeah. But the problem is... If you don't have it. If you don't have it... Then you just want to kill yourself. You're like, oh, my yeah. God, you know. If yep. I, so uh, there's just so much work that goes into it. But in the end, you know, the payoff is that we all love our job. We feel like, at least I do, I, I hit the Powerball lottery every week <laughs> just being able to go. And, uh, you know, it, it's the people that you're around, and, and I think that makes so much fun. Yeah. What's a typical day when you're going to cover the weekend in terms of hours for you? Oh, boy, you... hours? I don't know. I average. I, I did the uh, the pedometer thing one <laughs> two weekends back to back and I averaged like 14 miles a weekend walking. Wow. And you know, if the garage opens at six on Friday, the, the guys are unloading the cars. Usually I'm there at six 30. I like getting in 15 to 30 minutes after the garage opens and then start my day by making my rounds. And I, I try to go around and talk to, to every team and, and get updates. And it's not only the crew chief that you talk to, you know, you've got a buddy on the team and you talk to him and there's different things that you'll pick up because they see things from a little bit different perspective. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so you try to cover all the angles, just trying to get that next great story uh, to help, you know, make the broadcast, uh, yeah. you know, even better. Yeah. I think we've talked to, you know, quite a few. We've talked to Chris Devota and, and Latart now with his on his job with NBC. And, I mean, the preparation factor is just huge in your role and that time. I think, you know, that the average viewer you know, you pop on TV. Oh, yeah. Here you are. Yep. <laughs> you know, you've worked your four-hour race and oh, you're yeah. done. <laughs> I mean, you figure a cup race, you're on camera maybe, you know, or, or you're doing a story maybe 30 times during the race. And so you've got, you know, 25 to 30 opportunities to make an impact for the broadcast. And there's so many, you know, there's so many times where you're like, oh, man, this guy's done. Then all of a sudden he ends up winning the race. So you've always got to be prepared. And, and I think that's, you know, what uh, when you look at our job, Jimmy Spencer said to me one time, he did an ARCA race at Pocono. He's like, oh, my God, I don't know how you do it. I had three <laughs> or four different people talking in my head at the same time. And I'm trying to talk. And I'm, I'm like, how do you do it? I said, Jimmy, it's just like when you have a spotter and you've got the crew chief talking. You can take it all in. You can compartmentalize it in your brain. And, you know, 
and boom, you can still, uh, you know, give a report. One, one, you know, advantage that we have now is that we have pit spotters. Yeah. And like, let's say on an average race, I may have 10, 12 pits, depending on, we try to break it up so that way every section has good cars and to help a good balance across pit road. And, and I'll have what they call a pit spotter. And he's my assistant in the pits. And I'll take three or four cars and I'll listen to them primarily uh, in my headset with my scanner, and he'll do the same thing. And so, and then he'll pass me notes. And whether we're doing a drop back and, and hitting on a bunch of cars or uh, pit stops are underway and it's just, you know, rifling off, you know, boom, 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 different green flag stops. It's information that you take. And I've got a big poster board. And I really started it from Jerry Punch. And he was one of the people that really helped me at the beginning. He was my neighbor in Ormond Beach, Florida lived on my street and we would jog together and I would take him my senior year I would take him to the airport every Friday morning to drop him off to head to a race and so we were somewhere and I said Jerry I said this is like 96 and I said Jerry my, my biggest issue is I've got all my notes but it's you know if it you know it's it's kind of gets jumbled up because I use a poster board and he wrote like a doctor because he was and so I, I thought, oh, I'll, give it a, I'll give it a try. So I tried the poster board. I have all my stuff all laid out. So when you see a, a football coach on the sidelines at, at a game when you're watching on Fox and you've got the big poster board, it's all highlighted different colors. <laughs> that's it. That's basically what I have. And so I, I try to compile all my stuff on there. And then my pit spotter, he helps. I, I keep track of different you know cars during the race and what's going on so I can just you know revert back to that. So it's just so many different things that go into – and it, it's – you know, and you know, at the end of the day, from from your show, you always say to yourself, "I don't know, that, that just didn't feel good." And you <laughs> listen to it back or watch it back, you, "Wow, that was really pretty good." Yeah. <laughs> and so it's. And Jerry told me one time, he goes, "Matt, it's never going to be as good as it feels, and it's never going to be as bad as it feels." Yeah. And so, you know, that's but, just one of the things you got to remember. Yeah, that's true for driving the race car too. A lot of times, I know when I drove, and I'd say, "You know, this thing sounds perfect." And they're like, "Well, you're so slow." Yep. <laughs> you know, why are you so slow? And then you get out there and like, man, I can't even drive this thing. Oh, but you just turned your fastest lap. Yep, exactly. <laughs> One of those things. So I have some just kind of general questions outside of your scope. Well, they're within your scope of reporting, I guess. <laughs> just your thoughts and feelings. Thoughts on MWR shutting down and how that affects our sport and kind of what's going on in the sport. Well, I think anytime you see any team, whether they go from three to two or they shut down completely, when you look at our sport, you have so many friendships uh, across the board. You know, whether it's, you know, in the broadcasting side, whether it's the team side, the marketing side, the corporate side. And when you see anybody shut down or, or even, you know, dwindle down a, a car or two, you know, it, it's sad because you know how that affects. Especially this area up here, uh, you know, five, six years ago when we had the big yep. economic downturn, you saw, you know, you see on Facebook, your friends, they're moving back home. You know, packing up and going back to Pennsylvania, going back to Michigan, wherever, because this uh, arena is so limited with opportunity. Yeah. Because it's sponsor-driven, it's financially driven, and so it's a dollars and cents deal. So you know that there's 180 employees that are looking for jobs right now, hoping to find something. And, you know, you go back and you look at the truck series, and you're like, wow, I didn't realize that's where so-and-so ended up. And whether they were a top mechanic on a cup team five, six, seven years ago, you know, or they wanted to come off the road a little bit. 
uh, which you see a lot in Xfinity. It's like, you know, yeah. one of your Xfinity teams. You're like, holy smokes, look, you know, there's Billy Wilburn. You go right down the list of yeah. people that have been Sprint Cup, either car chiefs, mechanics, uh, crew chiefs, that have wanted to come down because maybe they uh, want to spend more time with their family. But I think it's sad when you see what's going to happen over there. And at this point, you don't see any team growing to where there's going to be opportunities. So. Yeah, that's one of the things that I've said is is that, you know, the bigger – I had some folks on Facebook commenting just because they have family mm-hmm. or friends or whatever, yep. and I'm like, you know, the bigger elephant in the room is what is going to grow mm-hmm. our team owners because our cup team owners are, you know, aging up. And, oh, yeah. And where, where is the growth coming from? And well, you look at the owners, you know, you know you've got Tony who is 43, you know, uh, Harry's not in my aging up category. Right, right. You know, you've got uh, Harry Scott. Get mad if you said that, that about that are, him. That are, probably, <laughs> probably would. And uh, you know, you got Harry Scott, who's a younger guy. But for the most part, you, you know, you hit on. You know, you've got guys like Roger Penske. You know, guys like Richard Childress, Rick Hendrick. They're all in their 60s, 70s. You know, and I think that's where, where are you going to pick up and make the sport a viable financial option to where they go? You know what, like Rob Kaufman. I mean, the whole reason why he bought into Ganassi and, and shutting down the MWR is due to finances. Yep. And so you've got to make it, I, I think, more of a viable option for, for someone to say, hey, you know what? You have to make it an investment. I wanna, you have to I make wanna, it an investment. I want to be able to go yep. play in that arena. But at the end of the day, I can still sell what I yeah. have, yeah. and I'm not just burning money. Right, exactly. Yep, that's a good point. For the chase, who do you think is a front runner for the championship? I picked Carvick at the beginning of the year, and people are like, well, you know, he hasn't won in five months. <laughs> but you look at the number of second-place finishes. And in this past year, when we had the first format change, uh, you know, with this el- elimination, and everyone's like, oh, you've got to win a race, you've got to do this and that, you know, each round. But if you look at what Harvick did and how consistent he was, and, and Newman as well, yes, Harvick had to win to keep advancing because of where he was, but look what Newman did. And so I think the fact that Harvick is so consistent, and then I think if you look at Joey Logano, they are starting to peak at the right time, and they seem to be getting better. Those are the two cars that I think uh, are my two front runners. What about the uh, few back there around 16 that are hovering? <laughs> I'll, I'll tell you what, you know, we just that's tight. It's that's close tight. Back there. It's tight with <laughs> with two races to go. You know, I think Richmond is going to be one exciting weekend. Yes, I agree. In the Xfinity car. We have no, you know, Casey Kane or Kevin Harvick or anybody like that in the car that weekend for that reason. Yep. I think, you know, they've got all their concentration uh, on that cup weekend. I didn't hear you tell any stories about my dad. You had a few years where you were able to uh, interact with oh, him gosh. through. <laughs> I'll tell you, it is fast lane family. It, so, it yeah. is. You got to tell a few Earnhardt stories. Wow, I've got a, I've got a, a few. <laughs> you know, when I look back to, you know, the interaction with your dad, um, you know, I think back to his last one at Talladega. I was working for RPM tonight and. ESPN. So I did what we call a live to tape, and that's interviewing the winner after the race is over. And you'll always see the reporter. He'll start out on camera. They'll pull out to a two-shot or start on a two-shot, and you ask a couple questions, and you throw it back. And so he answered a couple questions, and, and I went to throw it back, and he messed up. For whatever reason, he just started messing up my hair, and which then that started a whole deal with you know Harvick, with Stewart, with Steve Park through the years for whatever reason. <laughs> and, um, you know, but and he was so fun. And people at home would have no idea that he is just mashing your foot into the <laughs> pavement or 
you know, you can't see it on camera. He's got your elbow, and he's just sitting there smiling. He's answering your question, and he's just squeezing it. Uh, so many fun moments like that. That it's just, you know, between yourself and, and Dale. And I remember Dover one time, he got out after practice and we we're getting some sound for Sports Center, and his hair's all messed up. You know what I mean? And he had to, everything had to look good. <laughs> that had to get right. It had, had to be right. Spot and so he grabbed, he grabbed my RPM Tonight hat off and he wore the hat in the interview and uh, gave it back. So I still have the hat just because it was a fun little, a fun little Exchange moment. Exchange there. Yeah. <laughs> you know, when we were telling stories back uh, in Michigan in June, about Steve Ellsworth and how, like when I moved to Charlotte, uh, between your dad and J.R. Rhodes, they were like the welcome wagon. <laughs> I laugh when I see the uh, Steve Cook nationwide insurance yeah. commercials because I go, well, he's my guy. Yeah, the <laughs> that's who I, I have told you to go because, use. <laughs> you know, the Big E said, that's who you go. I said, okay, that's who I go to. That's who I'm going to. And so I laugh at that. Um, but I recall we were at Ellsworth. So I, I called him up and I said, Steve, Going to New York for the banquet, I've got to have a haircut. He says, okay, uh, Wednesday, 5.50 a.m. That's all I've got. I'm like, I'll take it. So I show up, and I get there at 5.45. And here's this reddish-orange Chevy Silverado, catalytic converter still ticking. And I walk in, and he, I said, uh, he goes, what are you doing? And I said, you're in my time slot. No, I'm not. Sit down. I said, you're in my time slot. Get out of the chair. He goes, sit down. I want to talk to you about this new TV deal. <laughs> and so we sat there. And what was so great, uh, there were many, many things. But one thing that, that people don't realize just, and I've said it before, your dad could see the forest of the trees of the next forest <laughs> because he had such a, a vision and, and he could really see, uh, you know, into the future as far as how things should play out. And so he wanted to know the ins and outs of the new TV deal. And so when Ellsworth finished cutting his hair, he got up, he sat down, and we continued the whole conversation because he wanted to know how it was all going to play out, what to expect when we got to Daytona, and, and why it was going to make the sport better. And, uh, you know, so just a lot of fun moments. You know, when we would go by uh, DEI, and I remember when we were having Hornaday, uh, they were unveiling Napa as a sponsor of the truck, and he's pushing the truck around and and he was just so into it yeah. on so many different levels. And, and that's, you know, just that's what was so cool about him. Yeah, that's what so many of his employees appreciated because he, he was usually there to wave you in in the morning and yeah. wave you out in the afternoon, oh, yeah. evening, and walk around, know all the, what was going on. And oh, yeah. Could I, you know, what you driving your blah, blah, blah for today, you know, or whatever yep. it was, just the attention that he, oh, yeah. he paid. All right, so we're headed into Darlington, a huge throwback weekend. I'm sure you've been... Oh, uh, yes. Preparing for that. Twitter is blowing <laughs> up with all these different cool paint schemes. Yeah. So you got to now, – now not only do you have to – how does that make you change for – Well, for yeah, I think – Paying attention because now I, you've got all these different yeah, paint schemes. <laughs> I, I think whether you're a fan or, or you're going to be a part of the broadcast or you work in the sport, what's cool is that I always felt like NASCAR did not do enough. And I don't mean the sanctioning body, but just the sport yeah. in general. Didn't do enough to show how much they treasured the past. Because you walk through the garage area, you talk to so many people, and they're like, oh, yeah, this or that. You know, at Darlington, for years, they had, you know, parking sides. That this was Junior Johnson's parking spot on the front stretch. David Pearson, and on and on. And so, Winner's Row, I think, is what they called it. And I think that when the NASCAR Hall of Fame came along, that really helped give uh, gave people a lot of different options as far as events. And I think... Darlington now having the throwback weekend like they are. 
And I think it gives people an opportunity to say, hey, look, you know, your brother, he's got the Kale Yarbrough paint scheme from 81. And so what that does, the fan then may search on Google. Yeah, they're going to Google, yeah. And they're going to say, oh, and that gives another connection. It may be a chance for them to understand we're here today because of what took place in 81, 71, 61, 51. Yeah. And so I think that gives them a chance because in baseball, all you hear about Cooperstown. Oh, that bat, it's going to Cooperstown. Well, we never had that until the Hall of Fame came along. And I think it's just now snowballing into so many different options for fans to understand the history. And really, for me, I treasure the history. It's, it's one of my passions. It's like your brother. We have a lot of great conversations just about cool stuff, um, you know, that uh, has taken place or cool pictures or, you know. And I, I, we were at Bristol one year. And I said, hey, look, I've got a really cool 1980 uh, Charlotte DVD. The race went off the air with 13 laps to go. So here's a copy of the entire race. I bet he loved that. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> so. All over that. You got a favorite paint scheme out of the Darlington Mix? I think well, there's 30-some cars. Yeah, when you go through it, I, I think Clint Boyer's Buddy Baker tribute. Yeah, to me, timing. when you see that and <laughs> the timing that's involved and how Boyer was, was sad that Buddy didn't get a chance to see it on the track, but when you see that, you're like, wow. That's the old Bud Moore Norris Industries 15. And you look at what your brother did with Kale Yarbrough's paint scheme. But to me, Ricky Stenhouse's 1969. Yeah. David Pearson. Pearson. Yeah. Yep. East Tennessee Motor Company. Oh, my gosh. That just, (laughs) that blue and gold, that's pretty sporty. Yeah. I cannot wait to see them all lined up. It is going to be so cool. You know, and the neat thing about it. Gives chills thinking about it. Well, it does. And this gives you a starting point for next year because Mm -hmm. when something like this happens, People are like, wow, yo, that was cool. Okay, we need to put a little more thought into it for next year yeah. and see what else we can come up with. Yeah. So I, I think it's just a great starting point, and hopefully it snowballs. Uh, you know, it'd be cool to see. Uh, you know, and I know people have different uniform uh, manufacturer contracts really or whatever. But take it, it all out. It'd be neat to see your brother go walking up pit road in a henchman-looking fire suit that Kale would have worn, and it has that look. Yeah. You know, today's technology, but the look of yesterday. Yeah. Yeah, I think, um, you know, we had Chip Weil on, and it has surpassed their expectation. Oh, yeah. Um, totally, when they brought it together and started talking to all the teams. And like you said, I think now that everybody sees it in play, our own brains will be turning on oh, how, yeah. what we can do and what we can yep. contribute. Because they came to us and said, hey, what can you contribute? But I don't think any of us had the vision right. you know, that they had. And I think they said eight cars they were hoping for, and they've got some 30-some cars. And Well, the neat pretty, thing is, too, cool. It's just like the the dirt race at Eldora for the trucks. I think if you keep it at one, it makes that such a unique bucket list event. And for Darlington, if you do the same thing, I I just think it grows and and it creates an environment that is a throwback weekend. It's, you know, it's like when they have the Hall of Fame game in, in the NFL or, or different old-time functions, yeah. you know, old-timers day uh, for the World Series. And I think that's uh, what we've got with Darlington, yeah. and I think it's really cool to see. Very cool. All right, so enough about this thing called racing. What do you like to do for fun outside of that? Oh, boy. <laughs> you know, and that's what's interesting because our lives are just so involved in racing. And if you have, you know, time off, a lot of times you'll go to a race. Like when we were in Michigan, <laughs> I went to a, a short track race on Friday night, a winged uh, pavement sprint car. I took my daughter, Madison, and we were pulling up. And she's like, oh, Daddy, we're at a dirt track. I said, no, it's like a dirt track, but it's got pavement like you're going down the road. Oh, okay. And uh, so, you know, she had a great time. But I, I think that 
you know, it's like you guys, you know, you've got so much uh, involved in the late model stuff, and you may run up and watch a modified race or yep. watch a late model show somewhere because it's like Tiger Woods saying, hey, you know what, I've got three of my buddies. We're just going to go play golf and have fun because you don't have the pressure because it's not your job portion yeah. of your life. This is your fun portion. And so, you know, I like doing that kind of stuff, catching a World of Outlaws show. You know, I really don't play golf. Um, you know, like everybody, you like to, you know, collect a little piece of history here or there for the sport. But I just think that, you know, our job is so consuming. That Sometimes you just like to do nothing. You like to do nothing. <laughs> and to sit home. I, I talked to uh, someone involved in the sport, one of the top PR people, today at school he had dropped his son off and, and the school where my daughter goes to there's a lot of racing people so you catch up in carpool which is funny <laughs> but uh i said what are you doing he goes i'm staying home i've got projects i want to do and i'm just going to stay home and chill and, and you know when i did the entire year because i worked for fox and nbc for the entire yes. year for six years and it was such a grind you don't realize it and that's why you know you get to december and all you want to do is sit on the couch and just try to get the batteries uh, recharged. And that's why I'm so grateful to have the package that I have now where I'm really busy and then a little bit busy. And then it really affords a lot of family time. But that's what you try to do. You try to mix in fun stuff, Yeah. Uh, you know, when you have that chance. Well, sounds like it's going well for you. I really, really appreciate you uh, joining us today on Fast Lane oh, Family. My, my pleasure. And, it's uh, been a lot of fun catching up, you know. It's funny because we're friends on Facebook. And yeah, I, thank and, goodness. And, and so <laughs> we see each other's families as they grow. And yeah. so you feel like even if you don't see someone at the track for a week, a month, you know, six months, but when you do, you know, oh, yeah, I saw your, your back-to-school pictures or, hey, I saw you went on the trip or, you know, and, and you look at how long we've been involved in the sport, you know, I, I think you just uh, had your uh, your 27th birthday because you're about three years younger than I am. So yes, I just had yes. you know, my 30th back in April. But, <laughs> you know, you don't realize how fast the years go by and how much we experience uh, that, uh, some you know, someday you sit back and like, wow, I didn't realize that, you know, the network package has been going on now for 15 years and yeah. all that's taken place, let alone. You know what took place before that, so it's it's neat to it's see. It's true. I don't. I mean, yeah. think about you doing this for twenty years. I'm like, really? Gosh, it's been that long. Oh yeah. I had to do an interview the other day and talking about my first job with David Allen and Jr. at Champion Sports Group, and and I had to do the math. And yeah. I said, you know, that's twenty two years ago. Wow. Oh, yeah. Well, it's like you know um, your your brother had on your dad's Iron yeah. Fire suit, <laughs> yeah. and a it fit it fit well. <laughs> yes. And and what's so funny is I think I think back to when I was with IROC. And how those guys, oh, my God, they loved your dad. I missed that series. I loved that. they were all racers from New Jersey, Wall Stadium, Flemington, you name it. And your dad was a racer. And so, I mean, they just loved him. And, you know, he was the king of that series. Yeah. And I really wish we had a series like that yeah. because it brought together all these different drivers from different series. And, you know, you realize everybody is the same. And I always say, and I said it on Twitter a couple weeks ago, you know, I'm a fan of racing. Because someone's like, oh, you know, what's your favorite? Is it trucks? I said, no, I'm a fan of racing. I like to watch it all. And I think that if you're a race fan, that makes you unique because typically, you know, it may not be your favorite, but you still be a fan of it and, and watch yeah. it. So I, yeah. I think that's what makes our sport so special. And we're so fortunate to have the jobs we do. We are. Along the lines of Facebook, you know, I get pretty aggravated about it because it can get so opinionated. But I love, you know, the connection that I have with 400 people that I know. Mm -hmm. 
and, and I'd like to see more often and yep. I don't get to see more often and you get yep. to keep up with those friends and families. Somebody, I saw something written the other day that said, uh, you know, if we, when we see people, if we treat them like we're on Facebook, oh, hey, oh, right yeah. now I'm having my coffee and I just put sweetener in it. And, oh, yeah. Yep. <laughs> you know, we don't interact with people that way. It's so funny oh, <laughs> compared yeah. to the things that we see on Facebook. <laughs> and that's what's so funny. It's about our sport where, you know, you may not have a chance to talk to a guy who's a tire changer. But you've seen him at Cedar Point with his family. Yeah. And so, you know, you feel like you're able to keep up better now. Yep. Uh, even though the sport takes up so much more of your time, you know, you have a better opportunity to, to kind yeah, of stay abreast of the Yeah, with social media. Oh, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yep. That's how I get a lot of my news. <laughs> a lot of my stuff going on. It's time now for our tip of the week brought to you by Wella Professionals. This week, I thought we would focus on side style do's. They're all the rage right now. And you've got a little side do going on today, Amanda, with your braid. Yeah, I do. I, um, <laughs> it was funny that we got this tip come from them because that was exactly what I wanted when I got married in December, too. To do this. I, was like, it, I guess it is that popular. I just got my <laughs> hair cut, so I'm gonna have to, I'll have to get creative with this in terms of trying to figure this out. So let's, let's talk about what, what happens. So this vintage look now has a new modern twist. It's stylish, and you can have fun playing with the products and creating different looks. First, you're going to want to make sure that you're working with your favorite Wella shampoo for your hair type. And be sure that you're using a product for thermal protection to protect against the heat when you're blow drying, like the Wella Thermal Image. You start by using extra volume styling mousse to add body and movement to your hair. Once you've decided on the desired look, whether it be a classic or edgy modern do, you can begin by taking mid-side sections of the hair and positioning them to the side of the head you wish to secure with bobby pins. Once you've firmly secured all the hair in place, begin to smooth the edges. You can use our Pearl Styler Gel to give you the shine and texture needed for your tasseled hair to look complete. Lastly, spray the hair with Stay Firm Finishing Spray, and this should help with any of the flyaways. Kennedy asked me the other day, she said, Mom, I would need you to flat iron my hair, but can you get rid of these frizzies? Hairspray. Stay Firm Finishing Spray. <laughs> you got it. You got it. You can purchase these or any Wella Professional product at any of the 782 Ulta stores nationwide or purchase online at Ulta.com. All right, well, thank you for joining us for this week's edition of Fast Lane Family. Fastlane Family has been brought to you by Wella Professional Hair Care, multi-sensorial hair care products that you will see, touch, and sense the difference from your very first wash. Hair care needs from fine to normal to color to coarse, Wella's got you covered. Wella Professional Hair Care products are available at over 780 Ulta stores nationwide. Visit Ulta.com to find the store nearest you. Thanks for listening to Dirty Mo' Radio. 